0: with the difference between a God incident and a coincidence, here's
1: Pastor Ed Ray. A door is an opportunity that God brings. Paul uses this term to mean certain circumstances that line up that would not have happened normally. He sees them as God incidences. We're so easily swayed to say, well, it was just a coincidence. Paul says, no, no, that was a god incident. a door of opportunity that God opened. Zion, I built with hands, and in this place, God will dwell with man. Sick, be and the
0: crippled stand, singing hallelujah. My kingdom built with the blood of my son, selfless sacrifice for everyone, Faith One of the more exciting things about the Christian life is experiencing a God incident, or as it's also been called, a divine appointment. It's equally exciting when you discover you can pray for them and be equipped to better handle them when they occur. Well, hello and welcome to Grow in Grace with Pastor Ed Ray. As we wrap up Colossians on our next two programs, we'll learn that the key to opening doors is to first talk to God about people before we talk to people about god beginning by reading our scripture from colossians chapter 4 here's pastor ed
1: we are in the last chapter of colossians finally made our way through it since we looked at verse 1 last time we'll start with verse 2 of colossians chapter 4 continue earnestly in prayer being vigilant in it with thanksgiving meanwhile praying also for us that god would open to us a door for the word to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am also in chains, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom towards those who are outside, redeeming the time. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. Tychius, a beloved brother, faithful minister, and fellow servant of the Lord, will tell you all the news about me. I am sending him to you for this very purpose, that he may know your circumstances and comfort your hearts. With Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you, they will make known to you all things which are happening here. Or my fellow prisoner, greets you with Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, about whom you received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice, these are my only fellow workers for the kingdom of God who are of the circumcision. They have proved to be a comfort to me. Epaphroditus, who is one of you, a bondservant of Christ, greets you always laboring fervently for you in prayer, that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God, for I bear him witness that he has a great zeal for you in those who are in Laodicea and those in Hierapolis." Luke, the beloved physician, and Demas greet you. Greet the brethren who are in Laodicea and Nymphos and the church that is in his house. Now when this epistle is read among you, see that it is read also in the church of the Laodiceans and that you likewise read the epistle from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord that you may fulfill it, this salutation, By my own hand, Paul, remember my chains, grace be with you, amen. Let's stop there and pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. You have left it for us as a guide, as a light. So speak to us now so that we can follow you more clearly. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Words are powerful. I was coming in uh, yesterday evening and one of our young skaters stopped me. And said kind of abruptly, uh, do you want to know the last words of my grandpa before he kicked the bucket? I said, well, sure. And I got real serious and he said, well, he said, I wonder how far I can kick this bucket. (laughs) It's junior high humor. Come on. (laughs) But words spoken or written are uh, powerful, uh, dynamic force. Someone said words are the swords used in the battle for success and joy. Hopeful, encouraging words will fan to flame the brilliant genius of a Winston Churchill or a Abraham Lincoln. Authoritative, powerful words can shape public opinion as easily as a sculptor can shape clay. Gentle, delicate words sung in a lullaby have put many a baby to sleep. Passionate, angry words have stirred many a mob to violence. Persuasive, convincing words have sent patriotic armies marching into the face of death. How people react to one another depends in a large part on the words that are used and how they are said. Life is a great whispering gallery, someone else said that sends back echoes from the past into today. Our words often live beyond us, sometimes because they were said at just the right moment or they were written down. And then generations later, somebody finds a note written and reads it and tries to understand who their great grandfather or great grandmother was who wrote the words. So words, they march on for a long time. Paul the Apostle recognizes that, and here at the end of his letter to the church at Colossae, he points to the importance of words. And this church had been a great church, and it was getting sidetracked now. So he writes the letter from a prison cell in Rome, and as we've worked our way through it, we've seen that he has a definite strategy to it. In the first chapter, he describes all they really needed was Jesus. And he describes the preeminence of Jesus, how he created, all things were created through him and by him, and how he sustains all things. And they really didn't need to add anything to what Jesus brought because he brought everything that was needed. They had been inundated by a philosophy at that time that was saying that there was a certain knowledge that they had that that the people in Colossae needed and these Gnostics, as the word no is in Greek, said they had special inside information, esoteric information that you could only get from them. Paul said, no, everything that's needed is found in Jesus Christ. The church was also being inundated with a group of Jewish evangelists that had come up from Jerusalem and were preaching the Old Testament law. And they said, that's fine that you're now see Jesus the Messiah, but you, what you really need to do is keep the 613 rules and regulations of the Old Testament. If you really want God to be happy with your life, you'll do it by the law. Paul says, no, it's not by law. Jesus Christ came to set you free. Don't let anyone judge you in feast days, in Sabbaths, in new moons, None of those things are real. They were just shadows pointing to Jesus Christ, who is the substance. Again, he brings it back to Jesus. Sidetracked in legalism, Jesus sets you free. Motives of the heart, he speaks of, because when you give your life to God, when you surrender to him, the Holy Spirit comes inside you, you are now changed and being changed from the inside out. You should set aside the old way of thinking. Take on the mind of Christ. You should see the old man, the old woman is dead in you. You have a new spirit within you. You have new power. You have freedom to think and act. Do things that you were not able to do because you were, in fact, a slave before. You're saved? Act like it, he says. Take advantage of the freedom God has given you. Walk in it. So, Paul talks about... This in this section, it's really the closing of the letter, but he, he drops two nuggets here. The first one is talk to God about people, pray, two and through four, and then talk to people about God, five and six, and then this closing that's all about grace, about grace in these 10 people that Paul describes. So, as we go through it, we'll go through it a little quickly because we don't have a lot of time to cover these many verses, but uh, don't miss these little windows of opportunity that Paul is talking about here, starting in verse 2. Paul writes, Continue earnestly in prayer, be vigilant in it with thanksgiving. The King James Version said, Pray and watch, be watchful as you do pray. Prayer and vigilance naturally go together. We see that throughout the Bible. One of the closest is in the Old Testament book of Nehemiah. Setting is Nehemiah is uh, leading the people in rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem, the gates, and the temple. They've come from Babylon after 70 years. God cured them of idol worship there, and they would never go back to idol worship again. But they're rebuilding the temple, and they're being opposed by all the people that had come into the land of Israel. And so, Nehemiah sees that the enemy is attacking them in the remote places on the wall where they were working. So, he could have simply said, well, let's just pray about it. It'll be fine. But he didn't. Nehemiah 4.9. Nevertheless, we made our prayers to the Lord. We did pray. And because of them, the enemy, we set a watch against them. night. We put up guards. In fact, he describes them rebuilding the wall with a trowel in one hand masonry work and a sword on their side so they were ready to do battle that's what paul says you need to do he described that in ephesians chapter six that you're in a battle that in fact god has given you armor and he's given you a sword his word so the believer needs to be constantly connected to heaven keep the receiver off the hook paul is saying Keep in touch with headquarters in heaven with thanksgiving. And God wants us to trust him and be thankful. You see, being thankful requires trust that God's going to bring something good out of the situation that's in front of you. Trusting that God is always gracious and wanting to bless his children. So we pray with thanksgiving, expecting him to bring by faith, the result that's right for us. Now this question of prayer, I get asked quite often. So let me get this straight. God sees my life and he knows everything because he's God. Then why do I have to pray to ask him for stuff that he already knows that I need?
0: Pastor Ed Ray will answer that question in just a few moments. But we wanted to pause here and acknowledge those just joining today on Grow in Grace. Welcome. Now to answer the question, why pray when God already knows what we need? Here's
1: Pastor Ed. One of the better answers that I've seen was by a 19th century pastor, R.A. Torrey. And he said there are four main reasons why we pray. Number one, we pray because there is the devil, Satan. And prayer is God's appointed way to resist Him, Ephesians 6.12 says. Secondly, we pray because prayer is God's way for us to obtain what we need from Him, Luke chapter 11. You have to ask how much more will be given to them that ask. James, you have not because you ask not. Thirdly, we pray because prayer is the means that God has appointed for us to find, quote, grace to help in time of need, Hebrews 4.16 that God wants us to pray so that when we do pray and he sends grace, we go, oh, yes, I remember that comes from God. It's not by my effort. And fourthly, we pray because prayer with thanksgiving is God's way for us to obtain freedom from anxiety. Because we can be praying in faith, but still have anxiety and not receive the peace of God that Philippians 4, 6 talks about that we looked at recently so while we are praying paul says while you're praying he says to the colossians verse 3 pray for us also while you're praying don't forget about me that god would open to us a door for the word to speak the mystery of christ for which i am also in change paul introduces the idea of opportunity here first he says pray for us now Paul is gone. He's in heaven. He's fine. You can't pray for him, but you can pray for me because I desperately need it, and I will pray for you. I have a prayer list. And door is an opportunity that God brings. Paul uses this term to mean certain circumstances that line up that would not have happened normally. He sees them as God incidences. We're so easily swayed to say, well, it was just a coincidence Paul says, no, no, that was a God incident, a door of opportunity that God opened. He used it first in Acts 14, 27. They declared all that God had done with them, speaking of Paul and Barnabas talking, and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. Paul said it wasn't because of our clever speaking, it wasn't because of our great strategy to go across Asia Minor and then into Europe. No, it was a door that the Holy Spirit opened for us. Second one's in 1 Corinthians 16, 8. Paul says, I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost for a wide door of effective work has opened to me. And there are many adversaries. Hmm, that's interesting. So God opens the doors, but that doesn't guarantee that there won't be opposition. In fact, it often means there will be opposition. That's what Paul is saying. So these are opportunities, windows of opportunity that God brings to you, your life, and my life But don't be surprised if there's some pressure, some pushback coming to you. Thirdly, 2 Corinthians 2.12, Paul says, when I came to Troas, that's on the western shore of Turkey today, to preach the gospel of Christ, a door was opened to me in the Lord, so I took leave and went to Macedonia, up to northern Greece. Paul said, God in my life has opened doors of opportunity, and when I took them... God brought wonderful things. A remarkable set of circumstances that God puts in your life every day. I believe that to be true. I often miss them in my own life, or I I've almost miss them, and suddenly I see it and turn back and do something about it. But I believe God is doing this for every believer every day of their life. That's what Paul is talking about here. When believers pray, which is what Paul is saying, then God changes circumstances. And I know that's a hard theology for some people to accept, but I believe that prayer changes things. It allows God to be impartially partial in response to his children's request. You have not because you ask not. How much more is given to them that ask? Paul the Apostle says, Pray for me that I might have more opportunities. Paul believes in prayer changing things. I'm sorry if that messes with your theology. Keep those cards and letters coming. That's all quite all right. Paul says, I'm in chains, to which I'm also in chains. He's not looking for sympathy, he means that he has authority. And he's in this position in, in chains where he's already witnessed to the whole Praetorium guard, 600 of the main guards that are going into Caesar's house. He said, pray that God would give me more. I'm running out of people to talk to. They're all saved here. I need some heathens so I can share God's love with them. And make it manifest as I ought to speak. Open these doors and then give me the words that nobody can miss. Make it clear. I want to speak of these, and he calls them mysteries. We've seen this word several times, mysterion. It doesn't mean something that is spooky or strange. It means something that used to be hidden, but now is revealed through Jesus Christ. Only by divine intervention. It was beyond natural perception, but now God has made it available to anyone who will surrender to Him. Mystery, hidden from ages, Paul said in chapter 1, for which I'm in chains. I have this opportunity. I'm in adverse circumstances, but I want to keep sharing God's love. That I might make it manifest, verse 4, as I ought to speak. That I can say this message as clearly as possible. I don't want anybody to miss it. First section, talk to God about people. Second section, talk to people about God. Verse 5, walk in wisdom, verse 5, towards those who are outside those who are unsaved, not believers, unbelievers, redeeming the time. This is a very interesting verse. This is a good one to uh, spend some time meditating on. First of all, a child of God has a responsibility before God to be wise in the way they represent God. Don't be foolish as a child of God. Best example I know, my bookshelf, I have a book that's entitled 88 Reasons Why Jesus is Coming in 1988. You can buy them for about five cents on Amazon now. (laughs) Not too many people buy on those. So Christians have no right to make such ridiculous, unscriptural, stupid (laughs) statements before an unsaved world. That stumbled a lot of Christians, but it certainly made the author the laughingstock of the news circuit for several months he said, walk in wisdom. The way you share Jesus, share it. Try and fit it to the person you're talking to. Don't try and be too clever. You get too clever and it blows the whole thing. But be sensitive to those who are outside, unsaved people. So uh, God expects us to exercise wisdom, and how we share the faith is important to God. Paul says it needs to be graceful, filled with grace. You don't walk up to a group of your unsaved friends and say, so what about eternity, smoking or non-smoking? You know, that's just not a great way to start a witness, uh, at least to win people over with it. Our own insensitivity is the reason why many people reject the gospel. It's not Jesus they're rejecting, it's just our inability to put it in terminology that works for them. Now, the opposite is also true that when you do try and walk the walk and walk the talk at the same time, then it impacts people. Someone sent this story to me about a new senior pastor in Houston, Texas, outside in the suburbs of Houston. He writes, a few weeks after I arrived in the city, my car was giving me trouble. So I took the bus from my home to the downtown area. After I sat down, I realized that the bus driver had given me a quarter too much change. There was that same old struggle in my mind. You'd better give the quarter back. It would be wrong to keep it. But then the corresponding thought, oh, forget about it. It's only a quarter. Who would worry about such a little amount? Anyway, the bus company gets too much, fare, and they'll never miss it. Accept it as a gift from God and keep quiet. This is a pastor. Just so you know, everybody has to fight that. He says, when my stop came, I paused at the driver's side and handed him the quarter and said, you gave me too much change. To my surprise, the bus driver said, aren't you the new pastor in town? I just wanted to see what you would do if I gave you too much change. (laughs) I've been thinking about going back to church. What time is your first service on Sunday? (laughs) So, as has been said often for many people, we are the only Bible that they will ever read. Now this word, time, redeeming the time. This is a great phrase. The word time here is not the normal Greek word chronos. This is a Greek word kiros, and it comes from the Greek word for grace. Chronos is where we get our, Amer- our English word, American boy, what a chauvinist statement, uh, get our English word of chronology, time in sequence, okay? So, this other word, krios, has the word kareese in it. You can hear it cry us. Charis is grace. You know, grace is a gift. So what this literally says is Paul says make opportunity for graced time, time that has been graced to you. He's not talking about more time that was given to us. He's talking about that moment of opportunity that God brings to you and to me. Grace time is used 84 times in the New Testament. I I wish it was translated that way. It, It would make all the difference when we're reading. He's saying that evangelism is seasonable. He's not saying that we shouldn't share our faith with people all the time. But there are certain moments when God has graced for you to say something and for that person to be ready to receive it.
0: Thanks for being with us for Grow in Grace. We're studying Colossians here on the weekends with Pastor Ed Ray. To hear this program again, go online to thepackinghouse.org. We archive our programs there for you so you can listen anytime you'd like. Or call and ask for a CD copy at 844-77-GRACE. That's 844-77-GRACE. At Grow in Grace, we're committed to bringing the truths of God's Word to the radio every day, but we can't do it alone. We look to our Lord and our listeners to help us provide these studies. And today, when you give a donation of any amount, we'll send you A Tale of Three Kings by Gene Edwards. We've all been hurt by the words or actions of another, but when it comes from another Christian, that can be really hard to handle. A Tale of Three Kings will lead you to God's hope and healing for times like these. I know you'll be comforted as you read A Tale of Three Kings. And again, it's our way of saying thank you for your gift of any amount to grow in grace. You can reach us at 844-77-GRACE. Our prayer is that you'll grow in grace as you study along with us. And if that's happening in your life, please do write us, as that would be very uplifting. And if you have a question related to our study or prayer request, by all means, send those our way. Our email address is packinghouseradio at aol.com. That's packinghouseradio at aol.com. And then join us for the next Grow in Grace as our study of Colossians develops with Pastor Ed Ray. God bless. and in this place gotta dwell with man sick be and the crippled stand singing hallelujah my kingdom built with the blood of my son selfless sacrifice for everyone faith, hope, love and harmony I said let this world know me by your love